Let's pray together before we begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now you would come and open our hearts, soften them, and make them receptive to the truth of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Several weeks ago when I was up here, I discussed the foundation of joy. And I took from Psalms 95 the fact that we are supposed to have joy and thankfulness in God and that the foundation of that joy and thankfulness is thankfulness rooted in the attributes of God. So if you recall, we said that God had made everything high, everything low, everything wet, everything dry, and that foundation was enough for us to trust Him. In Psalms 95, uh, we learn that we're to come and shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation, enter His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to the Lord in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. The depths of the earth are in His hand. The mountain peaks are His. The seas are His. He made them. With His hands, He formed the dry ground. Come, Psalms 95 says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. And that's where we stopped. And we came away going, I want to be thankful I want to be joyful. It's right. But where we stopped was right before the warning that Psalms 95 contains in the last four verses. Because you know what comes next in Psalms 95? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In, in a passage about joy and thankfulness to God, there's a warning about having a hard heart. Does a hard heart mean I'm not joyful and thankful in God? Is that what it means? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers did at Meribah and Massa on that day in the wilderness where they tested me and they tried me. You ready? Though they had seen what I did. And the Bible says for 40 years, God was disgusted with that generation. He said... These are a people whose hearts go astray. They don't understand my ways. And God swore in His anger that they would never enter His rest, which is not something I want for me and not something I want for you. So the question then is, if there's a warning about a hard heart, which has something to do with not being joyful and thankful in God, if there's a warning and this admonition to take warning from what happened at Meribah and Massa. The question is, what happened there? What happened at Meribah and Massa? It's referred again to in the New Testament. This Meribah and Massa comes up all over the Bible as a warning about having a hard heart against God. Hebrews 3 recites the passage again and ends by saying that it was their unbelief that gave them a hard heart. So what is it that God used as a warning to spur us on to joyfulness and thankfulness? What is it in this passage at Meribah and Massa that's a warning to us? Let's look on as we put someone on trial who was there when they put God on trial. Jeff and I, you are called to testify. Please approach. 
This court of Rephidim and the valley of sin is now in session. For the record, is your name Jephaniah? It is. Do you swear to tell, oh, second. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, Yahweh. I do. Do you understand that your faith is on trial here today because you tested God and put God on trial? I do. Jephaniah, is it true that you're a descendant of your fathers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? It is true. Is it true that you were born in Egypt in servitude to Pharaoh? It is true. Is it true that after hundreds of years of your ancestors being in service to Pharaoh in Egypt, you were miraculously delivered by the hand of God from Egypt? It is true. Is it true that you witnessed the Egyptians suffer many horrible plagues and that you and the other Hebrews did not experience any of these plagues? This is true. Jephaniah, do you have any sons? I have five sons and three daughters. How many? Five sons and three daughters. Did your firstborn son die the night of Passover? No. I'm sorry, I don't think I heard you. Did your firstborn son die the night of Passover? No. All the firstborn sons of Egypt died that night? Yes, they did. And the firstborn of their livestock perished as well. And all your sons lived? Yes. And your livestock? Did any of your livestock die? No, none of them died. None of them died. This seems like more of a coincidence. How do you explain that? God, through a mighty hand, gave us deliverance by us killing a lamb and placing blood on our doorpost. And God promised that he would pass by our house. So you killed a lamb, you put some blood in the doorpost, and God passes over, and all the firstborn sons of everyone in Egypt dies, and your kids are fine. Yes, this is true. Is it true that God led you with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that you would know where to go, so that you would not be afraid? Yes, this is true. Is it true the Egyptians had you cornered at the Red Sea in the wilderness and you thought you were going to die? Yes. So what happened there, Jephaniah? God parted the floodwaters and held back the waters and we walked through on dry land. You walked through the Red Sea on dry land at flood stage? Yes. Why didn't the Egyptians catch up to you while you were walking across the Red Sea on dry ground at flood stage? Well, there was a pillar of cloud that God put between us and the Egyptians. And that after he held them back so that they could not pursue us until we were through. So the pillar of cloud blocked their view so they couldn't see you while you guys walk away. Is that correct? Yes, it's true. Is it true that without escaping through the Red Sea, you most certainly would have been captured with all your ancestors and probably would have been killed? Yes. Is it true that after your lives were miraculously spared, the entire Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea? Yes, it is true. Is it true that before God delivered you through the Red Sea, you grumbled and complained against Moses because you thought you would die at the Red Sea? Yes, this is 
Jephaniah, why did you grumble and complain against God and Moses? We were afraid. I was afraid. I didn't believe God would deliver. Had you seen God deliver you in the past? Yes, I did. So why didn't you trust him at the Red Sea? Have you seen the size of the Egyptian army? There were so many of us, women and children. The water was deep. We were back in the corner. There was no way out. But God delivered you. He was faithful, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Did you complain again to God and Moses when there was a food shortage? Yes. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Did you complain to God when there was a food shortage? Yes, we complained. I complained. Is it true that God miraculously gave you manna to eat? It is true. Is it true that God miraculously provided quail for you to eat because you wanted meat? This also is true. So what happened then at Meribah and Massa? We complained. I complained. There was no water. What else? That's all. No water. That's it. Isn't it true that you threatened Moses? Yes, we threatened to stone him because there was no water. We were thirsty. There were so many of us. I was afraid. We were tired. We had many animals, children. We were in the middle of nowhere. There was no source of water. We were thirsty. Where were we going to get anything to drink? So did you stone Moses? No. Why? Because God brought us fresh water out of a rock. God brought you fresh, cool, clear water out of a rock. Yes, he did. Did God have a history of delivering you? Yes, he did. So if God had a history of delivering you, why did you grumble and complain and threaten to stone Moses if you knew that God was faithful, if you knew that he would take care of you? I just couldn't see it. I, I couldn't see it. I, I know he had rescued us in the past, but I was afraid. I was overcome with difficult circumstances. It was all that I could see. I just could not see that God would save us. you understand? I couldn't see it. I just could not see it. I couldn't see it. Redemption City Church, that's what can happen to you and me. We read the story about Meribah and Massa, and we think how silly they were for not trusting God. But sometimes in your life, you can't see it either. You've seen, I've seen, we've all seen the hand of God work. We've seen Him lead. We've seen Him provide miraculously. We've seen Him heal. We've seen Him take away pain. We've seen Him give comfort and loss. But sometimes when we are overcome by our circumstances, we can't see like they couldn't see. And a hard heart is a heart of unbelief that doesn't trust God. And so the question is, if it's having a hard heart that makes it so I can't see, what's it look like to soften that heart? To be able to see the deliverance of God that is available to us. Sometimes we're lost in the fog as we navigate through our lives and we have dim vision and we have heavy hearts and we have struggling faith. What's it look like? 
The passage says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and Massa in the wilderness. So how do we guard against that? How do we see that we're having some hardness of heart and we're not trusting God and we're afraid and we're not seeing who God is and we're not trusting him? How do we how do we overcome that? So what is a hard heart? What's the hard heart that we're warned against based on the passage? It's got something to do with testing and trying God. So what's testing and trying God? A hard heart is equated in this passage with a heart that strays, that does not understand God's ways. So having a soft heart has something to do with understanding who God is, what he's about, and what his ways are, and not doubting him. In the end, a hard heart results in unrest. It results in not having rest. It results in no rest, being afraid, being alone, and being tired. So track with me now, okay? The heart begins to harden. The Bible says, do not allow your hearts to become hardened. That's a process. That's not an event. That's a process. It's a hardening. It's a process. Do not allow your heart to become hard by not remembering what God has done. Now, what the passage says, you don't let your hearts become hard because they didn't remember what God did. They were clearly not acting on what God says they saw. They were not acting on what God says they saw, which was his deliverance, his miraculous deliverance over and over again. And this forgetting who God is and his mighty works puts God to the test. It puts them to the trial. That's what the passage says. Your fathers in the wilderness where they tested me, they tried me. What's it mean? What's it mean to put God on trial? It means you're testing his patience, his loving, kind patience as he leads you and helps you and guides you and clears the fog and shows you the way. And when you don't trust him and when you doubt him and your heart becomes hard, it tests him because God says, well, they don't trust me. They don't believe me. They doubt me. And he says for 40 years, he was disgusted with that generation. Something I don't want him to say about me. A hard heart. A hard heart is a heart that tests God. It's one that complains about, diminishes God, and doubts God after being made aware of his awesome power and ability and attributes. A hard heart is a heart that tests God after being made aware of his power and ability and attributes. So let's tie together from several weeks ago. Let's tie together the command to be joyful and thankful in God because of who he is with the warning about having a hard heart, which means that we're not doing it. Let's tie it together. When we got saved, when you came to Christ, when you made a profession of faith, when you got saved, you went down the on-ramp of repentance and forgiveness to get on the highway of your Christian life. When you got saved, you went down the on-ramp of repentance and forgiveness, and you got on the highway of joyfulness and thankfulness in God. And when you doubt God, and when you don't trust Him, and when your heart becomes, when your heart becomes hard, it's roadblocks on that highway to joyfulness and thankfulness in God. So how do we avoid those roadblocks? I want to give you five brief action words, actions that you can take to keep the faithfulness of God in view and to keep a hard heart away. Number one, act. Act today. Isn't it amazing? In Psalms 95, verse 8, the Bible says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is all over the Bible. The Bible doesn't say, hey, someday when you get a second, you probably ought to 
come to Christ or someday down the road. That's what lost people say who are ignoring God. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice today, if you hear his voice, if you have the slightest inclination that your heart might be harder, that you're struggling to believe God, whether you're doubting God, today is the day to fix it. I've said this before in this church and I'll say it again. It is easier to trust God today than it will be tomorrow. Because every time you don't trust God, every time you let that work out, it gets easier and easier and easier. Your heart becomes hard. Your trust in God becomes less today if you hear his voice. If you have any sense whatsoever right now in your life that you have a hard heart, seek somebody out. A pastor, a counselor, a friend, a Bible study member. Seek them out. Sit them down. Get them alone and say, hey, I'm struggling. I don't want to have a hard heart. And I'm having a hard time believing God right now. Would you help me? Would you pray with me? Would you share a scripture with me? Today. Act today. Number two. Hear his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, hear his voice. Do you realize that God probably speaks a lot more to you in your pain than he does when you're resting on the hammock in comfort? We all know this is true, right? God probably speaks a lot more in your greatest pain than he ever does in your best comfort. We learn more about God in the storms of life than we ever learn when things are going pretty good in what I like to call fields of clover. Remember when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and they thought they were going to die because of the storm waves and Jesus stilled the storm and the disciples were absolutely blown away. They were like, oh my word, this must be the Son of God. They did not say that when they were walking through the paths with daisies on the sides, grabbing a few heads of grain and nibbling on them as they went from town to town. They saw that revelation of who God is, his greatness, his power, his ability. When they were in a horrible storm, they thought they were going to die and God delivered them just like at Meribah and Massa. They were backed in a corner and God delivered them. Hear his voice. We learn way more about God in difficulty than we do in comfort. You can't learn about peace without having your peace tested. You can't learn about comfort without being in harm's way. You can't experience true rest without becoming painfully tired. And the if is on you today. If you hear His voice. I have a guy that works for me and he... uh, plays music and he's got earbuds in his in his ears all day long in my shop. And so I, I forget this sometimes and I'll pass and his name is Mike and I'm like, hey Mike, can you make sure that the you know this gets done? And he just he just keeps it right on. He don't hear a thing. I'm like, oh give me a break. And so we tease him because he never hears what we say. And then one day we realize I think it's intentional. I think those earbuds are in because then he never, maybe he hears, maybe he doesn't. And we said to him one day, we think you wear earbuds intentionally because you really don't want to listen to us. He just smiled. But he's got those earbuds in and he is, I don't know what's in there, I don't know what he's listening to, but he is filling himself with whatever it is that he likes, whether it's music, probably music. But that's what you have to do to get God's voice coming into your mind, coming into your life, coming into your heart. 
You've got to be that intentional. If you hear his voice, you can make that if a reality. You have to saturate yourselves with the truth of God, the word of God, the people of God, the church of God, right? You've got to keep it coming. So there's no if I can hear God's voice. I hear it all the time because I'm in worship and I'm in small group Bible study and I read the word and I, I listen to scriptures when I'm driving my car. I went to Denver last week to look at some trucks and I saw a book laying on the desk at our house and it was it was called The Hand of God by Alistair Begg. And so I thought, oh, I'll have some time in the airport. I'll pick it up. And I took it with me and I read the book on the way out and the way back, read the book. And it was a commentary on the life of Joseph. And how amazing it was that he wasn't bitter with the stuff that happened, how forgiving he was and how he saved his family. And I thought of how that applies to what we're talking about. This miraculous action of God in the life of Joseph and how that worked out. And I read that book and my faith was encouraged. I've been bitter in my life and I don't want to be. I've been scared like Joseph was and I don't want to be. I've been falsely accused in my life as some of you have. And I want to be able to trust God when that happens. And I read that book. That's the if happening. If you hear his voice, I want to hear his voice. I want to keep it coming in. I want to keep the word of God coming at me in all kinds of ways. Get the earbuds in, turn them on and get them playing. Today, if you hear his voice, the if is on you. You cannot experience deep trust in God. Listen to me. You cannot experience deep trust in God. If you don't have anything to trust Him for. So if you're struggling right now, you can trust God. Number three. So number one, let's recap. Number one is act today. Number two is hear His voice. Number three is see what He has done. See what He has done. The Word of God is filled with God's actions to encourage your heart and mind. Everything that just happened right here with Jeff and I, that's all true. Okay? They rebelled, they were delivered, they rebelled, they were delivered, and God delivered them over and over and over again. He backs them in a corner over and over again. Here's what I want in my life. I want to be backed in a corner. I want to be scared, and I want to be tired, and I want to be thirsty, and I want to be backed into a corner, and I want to be afraid for what's going to happen. And unlike what happened in Meribah and Massa, I don't want to stone the messenger. I don't want to mistrust God. I don't want to complain because there's no water. I want to sit back, and I want to rest in my thirstiness and see God deliver me. Because he will, and he does. See what God has done. This church is full of people where you can see what God has done. I've known your pastors, Jake and Adam, for a long time. And I have seen God working in their lives. And he's working in the Pullman family right now in a big way. Jake and Rachel just had a baby and God's working in their life because I was there when they lost one. And I saw God work in their life in a marvelous way. And others of you in the room that I know that are here and God has worked in your life and I've seen that and you've seen that. You've seen God work in your own life. See what God has done. And then fourth, know His ways. This is the clincher, guys. Know His ways. The Bible says their hearts were hard because they didn't trust him at Meribah and Massa, though they had seen what he did. And God says, these are a people whose hearts go astray. That's like saying they're getting hard. These are a people whose hearts go astray. Why? Because they do not know my ways. You know what the ways of God are? 
You ready? You want to know what the ways of God are like? Nothing like your ways and my ways. Okay? Nothing like it. God's ways are above our understanding and they're, 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 they're unique to His perfect character and our, our thoughts and actions are sinful. God's ways are nothing like our ways and we have to understand the ways. It's not how we would do it. You know how I would craft my life? I'd give me a fantastic job with a good salary, with sunshine all the time. I live in Hawaii on the beach and I make a quarter million dollars a year to look for sand turtles. And it never rains and it's never cloudy and nobody ever gives me a hard time and nobody ever gets sick. That's what I would do in God's life. That's the farthest thing from my mind. you got no idea what's going to happen to you. Because God wants me to be a servant who grows up and trusts Him through the most difficult circumstances so that I deeply trust in God and I've learned to trust in God because of the things that God has asked me to walk through on the road of life. Know God's ways. God's not like anyone you know. Read the Bible. Study the Word. Share with saints. Your best friends in this life, listen to me, your best friends in this life need to be Christians. You will never make it if they are not. If you're here today and you're going in your head, you know what, all my friends are, are non-believers. You're not going to make it. Now, you've got to have unbelievers in your life to share the gospel. But when the deep, dark troubles come and when you're tempted to not trust God and when life throws arrows at you and they're pricking you and they hurt, you need Christians around you to remind you what the truth is. You need someone to tell you the truth. Now, I know what it's like to have people in my life. You, you know, I share my grumpy complaint. Yeah, you get them, Kev. That's exactly, that's exactly right. I need someone that says, no, Kev, what's God doing here? I need people in my life. You need people in your life. Your best friends need to be Christians because they know God's ways and you know God's ways and someone has to remind you. And then lastly, rest in God. Act today. If you're struggling, now. Act today. Hear His voice. Listen to the voice of God. Find ways to bring it in. Import it. Bring it in. Find ways. In the music. In the car. In the book. In the, in the worship. Find some way to constantly input if you hear His voice. And see what He's done. And know His ways. They're not like anything you've ever known. God has His own agenda. And it's a perfect agenda. And it's a wonderful agenda. But it's a difficult agenda. And lastly, rest in God. I want to be so ready with my trust in God that when the bottom falls out of my world, when things are happening that I did not expect, that my predisposition is to rest and say, wonder what God's going to do now. When I'm cornered, when I'm scared for my life, when I'm thirsty, when I'm hungry, when I'm lonely, when I'm facing great difficulty, I want to overcome the temptation to doubt God. I want to deeply trust in God rather than put God to the test. I want to stand firmly. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, the Bible says not only is that what I want from you, what I should want from me, is rest is the very thing that God takes away when your hearts are hard. You see how it feeds it? You're not thankful for God. You're not trusting in God. You're not joyful in God. And so you're struggling to make it your own way and not see God's ways and not figure it out. And then God takes away your rest 
which gives you all the more unrest and all the more doubt. But when you stop and pull it back and you hear his voice, you see what he's done and you know his ways and you act today. And that rest comes in. Then you rest in God and the doubts begin to slip away and the trust begins to grow. Rest in God. Imagine with me, if you will, please, that you're at the big game. This is the this is the game of the century. This is the big one. I mean, this is the one that everybody's been waiting for, and everybody's watching this. And you're at the big game. It's the final contest. It's the final competition that decides once and all who the victors are. Both teams have worked tirelessly to win. The court is stained with the sweat, and the blood, and the tears of the players who've given everything they have to secure victory. There were times when it looked like our team was going to lose. There were times when the agony of defeat was just etched on the faces of the players, but the the coach was steadfast. He never wavered for a second. He didn't sweat. He didn't pace. He didn't yell. He didn't chide the players. He had an occasional word of encouragement and an almost smile that never left his lips. Some players were injured in the game. Some players played with almost unimaginable pain. And some players were put on the bench because their behavior was inappropriate. The game was down to the end. The clock is almost out of time, and soon the contest is going to be decided. The stands are filled to capacity with spectators, and the cheers of adoring fans are ringing out through the entire city. The throng of the exuberant enthusiasm drives the players to what looks like a certain victory. Worn out, tired players are regaining strength as they replay in their mind the encouragement of the coach and the cheering of the fans. And in the end, Satan and his demons are banished forever. And Jesus Christ leads his team to final and forever victory. And you're on that team. And Psalms 95 starts with, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Let us shout triumphantly. Let us come in His presence with thanksgiving. Let us sing to Him triumphantly in triumph. Beloved, God will deliver you and we win. Let's not have a hard heart that doesn't trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the encouragement that You give us to trust You. Father, forgive us and help us when we doubt Your deliverance and Your goodness. In Jesus' name, Amen.